Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Amiri Talk, talking with Charlotte and kids. So this is episode six, I guess. Finally,、um, today I want to talk about a trend that is going on in major developed city、uh, countries. I'm I'm sorry, countries such as、um, the United States, China, and Japan. The trend of the low birth rate and how it will influence our life. What kind of Six, uh, insinuations it carries in the development of the country as well as in the lives of people. Kiss, you want to say hello to everybody? Hello, how's it going? Okay, so let me start it. Um, let me start from the basic situation right now. And according to the data I found out on the internet. The low birth rate—that is to say, the birth rate has been decreasing in China for the past、uh, three years—and that is the latest data in 2019.、Uh, we all know that China abolished its one-child policy, which started in 1982. So it has been many years. It's been more than 30 years of one-child policy. People can only have one child, and eventually. This one-child policy was abolished in 2015, but surprisingly, we do not find the birth rate, the low birth rate, bouncing back. Actually, the the birth rate has been decreasing for the past three years in China, and the data shows that in the United States, the the birth rate has been decreasing for the past ten years. But comparatively speaking, America still has Relatively not so low birth rate. The most dangerous situation is in Japan, and their birth rate has been decreasing ever since I don't know 1975, because 1975 is the second baby boom in Japan, and ever since then the birth rate in Japan has been decreasing for years until now, and every year it just hit its new record of new low. The Japanese government has been doing has been doing a lot of things、uh, in response to this low birth rate problems, and it doesn't seem to work. There is even a major in major universities talking about how shall we address this problem. So now, today we're going to talk about this. What do you think of this, Kiss? Well, it, I think the most common trend is is what they didn't anticipate. In the 1960s, in the earlier models, they said, "Oh my God, the population is exploding all over the planet, and you know we're going to have a population bomb." They were calling it and saying, "You know, we just have the environmental in- impacts of a population bomb could cause the whole world, you know, to collapse or a whole society to collapse." That is true, though. In the 1960s, there was a big famine in China, and a lot of people died because there are wars like. Too large a population. That's not why. That's what the government explained to you as what happened. What actually happened was just poor economics and poor economic modeling and and decision making at at the governmental level. You mean the nineteen sixties? Yeah, that's not why there was a famine in China. Okay.、Um, but we can save that for another discussion.、Um, basically, what happened was.、Um, So there's this book, the population bomb, that came out in the late 1960s and kind of like freaked everybody out.、Um, but 
what the population bump doesn't fail fail to take into consideration is that when you lift economies out of poverty and the more modernized economy becomes and the more educated people become, the birth rate declines based on that trend line. So yeah, it's true. There would be a population bomb if you just kept, you know, the current birth rate steady and the current development rate steady and there would just be way too many people. Um, obviously each person has an environmental footprint, an ecological footprint, which is how many resources it takes per year to sustain yeah. one person. And this varies greatly between countries, um, between, you know, U.S. is obviously one of the most modernized country, and we per person we consume like the most resources. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So our ecological footprint is catching up, and the concern is that more other countries have um, concerns about this as well, because like China is developing, right? So the resources per person from like 1990 in China to right now mm. have drastically changed, because you guys are consuming more things, mm -hmm. having a more modern lifestyle. Um, but anyway, the counter to this is that, well, is it that much of a concern because s the population is expected to peak um, in the late um, 21st century? And in China, it's expected to peak in like 2040 and then start declining rapidly. Okay. Um, so, again, this, this book in the 60s it influenced China, uh, Chinese policy, influenced the one-child policy. Um, experts and, and people in America were talking about, oh my God, what are we going to do about population? Environmentalists were extremely, con before climate change, environmentalists were con extremely concerned about population. But then this trend occurred, so you start having really low birth rates in you know, modern economies where two parents, men and women, are both working full-time jobs and they don't have as much motivation to have as many kids as they did in previous generations. I sort of get what you said. Um, I remember watching this documentary about one China's one-child policy. It was actually made by a Canadian Chinese. So she interviewed those people back in 1982 when one-child policy first came out. And these people were actually the law, like people who actually enforce this law, the one-child policy law. So if you have more than one child, Uh, you might lose your job or you might get like you have to pay fine uh, to pay fine mm -hmm. or you your your house will be destroyed or uh, demolished by these people and they interviewed these people they specifically said well we do think we do agree that it is very cruel thing to just go to people's house uh, demolish their roof just because they have more than one child and But I still think the government or the country made the right decision. And as you mentioned just now, as it is proposed in this book, when uh, each person takes like more proportion of uh, consumption, well, naturally the birth rate will go down because you're richer, you have more resources, the birth rate will naturally go down. But have you ever thought that, you know, in back in... 1980s when the one-child policy came out it was exactly because of this one-child policy that we get the chance to develop the economy to what we have right now because otherwise if you let the population just um grow as it was at a speed as it was mm. there is no economic population to talk about because people would be trapped in this 
old mode of thinking. Where can they get food for their children? They have three or four children to support, and how can they support their family? There's just like no way to 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 get out of this like trap. What you're talking, the trap that you're talking about, is the actually called the Malthusian trap. And Thomas Malthus was a um, a philosopher and I th- believe scientist who studied population、uh, epidemiology and things like that, population、mm-hmm. statistics. And he basically said, "Well, if we improve our economic output and our agricultural output,、um, it'll feed more people, and more people will have more kids. But when there's too many kids and not enough agricultural output, the balance goes in the other direction." So people have less kids, more people die, and then it just this unwavering thing that just goes up and down, up and down, up and down forever. And that's, yeah.、Um, but the thing is, in the West, we broke out of the Malthusian trap with the advent of different agricultural,、uh, industrial techniques. So like the cotton gin,、um, different techniques that allowed our、um, output per person, per laborer, of、mm-hmm. of food item to. Drastically increase, and that's when the whole world's population around 1800 was about one billion. That's when it exploded. So you can see the curve over time. It's very small from like the last hundred thousand years. Yeah. And then around the year 1800, we break out of this Malthusian trap, this pop- Malthusian population trap. And with the Industrial Revolution,、um, improving vastly, improving the quality of people's lives by greatly reducing the costs of Producing one, the cost and time and labor of producing one ounce of food, whatever that's meat or you know beef or、um, grain or whatever it is. I'm、oh, sorry to、uh, interrupt, but can you rephrase the Malthusian trap? Malthusian trap. Malthusian trap. And obviously, easier way. It's based on this. What is this theory? It sounds.、Um, You know, it sounds like a difficult word because it's based on this guy's last name, Thomas Malthus.、Mm. Um, Thomas I'm, Malthus. I'm just gonna bring it up here. Tho- Thomas Robert Malthus. Malthusian theory. So, directly from Wikipedia, it's a condition where excess population would stop growing to sh- shortage of food、uh, food supply, leading to starvation. So, like I said, it's kind of like this wave. So, more people. You have a bunch of kids, right? So, you have eight kids. And they're producing、um, more rice and more grain than you could normally have, so you have excess food supply. But then you have, because you had eight kids, you have too many mouths to feed. And this is just like a, a micro example of the whole phenomenon. It、yeah. occurs across an entire population.、Mm-hmm. Um, so then you have eight kids, and not, but there's still not enough food supply for all those eight kids because you're producing food. With just human labor and physical labor, yeah, and it's just unless you do have a giant, like an, an enormous breakthrough in technology or something like that, you're going to be re- remain in this trap. Yeah, and around the 19, we thought we bursted out of the ni-、uh, Malthusian trap, and then, then in the 1950s, this guy who wrote the population bomb was just like, oh my god, there's countries in Asia now that are just Producing so many kids, so many kids, and our current technology in the 1950s and 60s、mm. was not enough to produce that much food.、Mm-hmm. But then, obviously, technology keeps growing at a rapid pace, as does pe- population. Yeah. So again, we're able to break out of the Malthusian trap. Now we have things like genetically modified organisms and genetically modified foods, which are even easier to grow. They're 
more tolerant to herbicides. So the cost per ounce goes down. Again, this happened in like the 80s and 90s. Well, you make it sound like because、um, we already broke out of the Malthusian、yeah. trap、uh, due to the development of modern technology and genetically edited food, whatever. Now people have more freedom to have more kids, as many as they want. But it was exactly when the economy started to take off in a really rapid speed, like China, it is doing right now. Yeah. And it is exactly when Japan already gained its economic success at a certain point, because like Japan's Japanese economy was almost like number one, surpasses、uh, surpassed the United States in the 1980s. And if you look at the top like top 100 corporates in、uh, in in the whole world. Japanese corporates take like a large portion of it in the 1980s. It is not the case anymore, but it was the case in the 1980s. So it was exactly at this point when the birth rate started to go down, to decrease、mm-hmm. in Japan as well as in China. What do you think about that? Um. So, yeah, this this coincided. I'm looking at the chart here. The the Decline in in China and in the world has been happening for the last fifty or sixty years or so. Yeah. And there was a rapid drop off in the sixties and seventies. You can yeah, you can look at the chart of Japan. It goes down, like goes down from nineteen seventy five, I believe, because nineteen seventy five is like what we call、uh, the second boom, the second baby boom in Japan. And after that, it just goes down like rapidly, and it never ever bounced back. So, if you look at if you compare India with China, India has a similar size population to China, yeah. And but they didn't have a one child policy. So you can see that perfectly the effects of the one child policy here. You can see the rapid decline around the year nineteen、uh, in China is the dark green. So. It, Around the mid seventies, it's declining rapidly, and then by nineteen eighty, it goes down to like two point five. Yeah, because nineteen eighty two was、uh, the year the government launched the one child policy. Nineteen eighty two, yeah. But now,、um, if you but India as well as China is also on a declining trajectory. It's just a different slope. So instead of being cut off and then rapidly declining. Um, there's it has been a more steady decline over the past fifty、uh, years or so, but they're pretty close now. They're also at two point four, which、yeah. is just above the replacement rate. Yeah, yeah. The replacement rate for a, a population to be sustained,、um, the fertility rate has to be two point one. For it to grow, it has to be above two point one. For it to decline, it has to be below two point one kids per woman. Okay. Um, so what I'm saying here, yeah. So the one-child policy it seems had a profound impact on、um, populations in China. Obviously, there was also negative consequences due to the preference for boys over girls. So now there's kind of a gender imbalance in the population. Yeah. Which has its own set of problems to be dealt with.、Um, but I mean, how many? I guess it's hard to quantify just how many people this policy saved from being born. Obviously, if you compare it with India. A lot more children were born born in India, even though their population rate was also declining. It just wasn't declining at such a rapid rate as China.、Mm-hmm. 
so you are saying that compare if we compare the chart um, of China with the chart of India, yeah, um, it basically just applies to the theory that you just proposed with the development of the science and technology when one person can realize the production uh, the resources that maybe three or four people can realize in the past then the birth rate the birth rate will naturally go down well no I think this is a modernization phenomenon um, I think this this trend is happening all over the world and India like China like Russia like Brazil is the second world developing country so they're in the early 19th or early 20th century they were third world so they were just mainly agricultural economies not industrialized yet but as you, a country becomes more industrialized and more modernized we see this rapid decline in infertility rates no matter what whether you have a one child policy or whether you don't so what i'm saying is it doesn't really matter that there was a one-child policy or not because the population was bound to decline no matter what. It may have saved maybe hundreds of, like, 300 million people from being born. What is the reason? What, what is, is the, the reason? What is the reason what? That you proposed from the very beginning when you, you know, put out the chart to illustrate this point. Can you put it in a very simple way? This is a very complex topic, so uh, there's a, a lot of data that goes into this. There's a lot of economic policies. There's social issues. There's, um, um, you know. Yeah, let's say from a scientific uh, perspective, from the perspective of the society as well as the development of the whole world, mm. what what do you think is the reason for the uh, low birth rate that is going on nowadays? It's really hard to say. I think one of the primary reasons they do say, though, um, if they say if you want to de decrease the birth rate and reduce the population, one of the best things to do is educate women. So mm -hmm. when women are educated, both parents have a career, and both parents sort of prioritize a career. And when you free up your time, or I'm sorry, when you take away free time that you have to spend with your kids... When your full-time job is raising kids, in America in the 1950s, a greater percentage of women were just raising kids. My grandma was just raising kids. Mm -hmm. um, when you take that away and say, oh, now your primary objective is to have a, go to study, get a career, just like your husband, so you have two incomes to provide for your kids, it takes away so much time. You're sending your kids to nurseries. Um, the cost per kid goes up because, you know, you're wearing – funding a bunch of money for college for your kid. You want to make sure your kid grows up in the best possible neighborhood, which costs a lot of money. You know, that ma the cost per child has gone up drastically, too, in the modernized world. Yeah, yeah. Cost for yeah. school, cost for, I mean, the cost for food has gone down because we have all these advanced technologies and, and economic systems that bring us cheap food. Yeah. But the cost of everything yeah, so else Yeah, so that's what I, what I mean when I uh, try to ask you this question. Because, like, for the uh, previous part that we have been talking up until now, yeah. you have been putting up this fact that according to the data shown on this chart, the population in the whole world, as we well in some major countries we mentioned just now, like China, India, uh, Japan. Yeah. Like, once you enter this modern, modernized society where you can realize the production with more technology, uh, scientific-aided uh, uh, means, mm. naturally, the population will go down. Yeah. 
Well, of course, we talk about like in China, we have one-child policy. We also have like in,、uh, the big famine in the 1960s when my dad and my mom were just born. There was、yeah. a big famine; a lot of people died. Yeah. But generally speaking, the trend is the population will go down as the economy develops, and then there must be like this is a fact. But we try to understand. From different perspectives, like you mentioned, women's education,、yeah. we can say that is social equality, right? Social equality,、uh, or gender equality. Sorry, so, gender yeah, equality in the society. It's equality, but I think there's a pressure too. I think when you know,、um, around the 1970s in America, a lot of women began working, and then the costs of things naturally increased. It's like sort of a supply and demand equation. So. Now you need you used to have one parent income in the 1950s, making providing for the whole house, but now that's almost unheard of because it's very hard to do. Yeah. So now you need two parent. It's not just like oh, it's great for women; they should go have a career too. That's a component of it, but the, I think the primary driver is we're using two brains to bring、mm-hmm. home the best income to provide the best outcome for our kids, and because of that, we may not be able to have three, four, or five kids like they used to in the old days. That is exactly what is happening right now in Japan. Because you know,、um, I don't. I think the like here. I have a number. The age fifties、uh, people in Japan. The rate for males that have never ever got married is twenty third point four percent. Yeah. And for female, the number is fourteen point one percent. Imagine, so more than one person in five men in Japan never got married in their whole life. Yeah, and about one point five female、uh, women in Japan never got married in their whole life. Because, like, if you reach the age fifty, it's a very low chance that you would ever、uh, get married, right? Ever. So, as you as you mentioned, one of the things is the the social changes in regards to gender equality.、Uh, obviously, in the past, including I think up until nineteen nineties and early twenty two thousand, most Japanese women have this idea that if I get married, especially after I have a kid, I would just quit my job and come back to be a housewife.、Mm. And I even heard that you know I used to study in Kyoto University. It was like the top one or top two university in Japan.、Mm-hmm. Some of the girls still have this old-fashioned ideas. They say, "I came to a famous university just mainly so that I can get a really good match, like a, husband, yeah, for future husband." Okay. And they already, they are already preoccupied with the idea that once I get married to a nice guy who earns a lot of money. Yeah, I have a kid, have a baby. I'm just gonna quit my job and stay at home. So this has been the tradition for for thousands of not not thousands. I mean, for many many years. Yeah. But nowadays, you can't ignore the fact that women are getting more and more education. They are opening their mind, widen their horizon while they get this sort of education, and they realize maybe. The old traditional way is not the only way, and well, it's not necessarily the best way. They have been told such, but it's not true. 
Well, they they start weigh things like the both sides of things.、Mm-hmm. If I get married to a rich guy, well, of course he can support me and the, and and the whole family.、Um, but my talent as well as my life have to be sacrificed for the for the family. And the other thing is,、uh, as I mentioned just now, in the nineteen eighties, Japanese economy kind of reached the peak. But ever since that nineteen nineties, the econo- economic bubble、yeah. got busted. And the situation just changed. Uh, one guy who, even if you married a guy who works for a big corporate, there's a very large chance that the, the the salary, the income of your husband is not necessarily capable enough to support the whole family. Yeah, they say that one of the biggest concerns is people are living in cities now as opposed to rural or suburbs. Like I grew up in a suburb, and even in America, a, a suburb-oriented culture. Um, we are seeing people go back to the cities. Younger people are living in the cities, and cities are more expensive places to raise kids. So yeah, there's pressure.、Definitely. There's pressure,、um, you know, to to provide the best possible、uh, outcome for your kids by investing them, investing a lot of money and resources into their education. Maybe private li- school or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, and Japan is a like a heavily urbanized country. One tenth of the whole Population lives in the big city, the big urban area of Tokyo, yeah, including、uh, Yokohama、um, and the areas near Tokyo. So that is one、uh, thing we mentioned, like the changes, social changes in regards to gender equality, and also.、Um, also what. Uh, also, I think it's related to the social、uh, culture. Like I start to see this trend in China too. So, but because Japan, in terms of economic development, has been ahead of China for many years, right?、Mm-hmm. So many of the things that Japan as a country has experienced is starting to surface in modern Chinese society as well. Like for example. We call this like low desire society. Like we say, Japan is a low desire society. Low desire meaning they have no desire to buy luxurious products like expensive bags and clothes,、mm. and they have no desire to buy a house like a real estate property of their own.、Mm. They have no desire to develop and advance in their career, make a lot of money, go abroad to travel. What they want is like a very simple life. Maybe have a small business of of his own or her own, and just get like a certain amount of salary every month. Isn't that what people used to do though for centuries and centuries before? That is not the case in Japan in in the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties. No, for centuries before, isn't for most of human society? Didn't people just have a simple life where they're maybe growing some crops? Maybe they're not rapidly increasing their Their、uh, capital and society, or in the agriculture society, maybe that's what I'm saying. So maybe this is a a return. To, there's so much pressure in this society to move up the ladder, to go up the ladder, to get a lot of capital, to invest your capital in a home or a small business or a big business, or make big investments and buy cars and buy fancy things. In this in this capitalistic structured society, there's a lot of pressure. To do that, maybe we've reached a peak and people are maxed out. What do you think?、Uh, what do you mean by we reached peak? What do you think made people 
give up this kind of lifestyle and the desires they used to have? I don't know. That's a very complicated question, but maybe it wasn't that fulfilling as we thought it was going to be. Maybe. maybe you, you mentioned something very interesting. I, you said they are kind of giving up these things in lieu of a more simplistic life. I just want to make a little bit of money, and I just want to have a small business. Maybe there's something admirable about that, and maybe there's something very human about that that goes back for millennia, much longer than this system has been around for the past hundred years or so. Some of the books I read said um, some Japanese young people, they realized no matter how hard they try, because think about it, people who were born in the 1990s, yeah. after the economic bubble got busted, mm-hmm. they saw like how their life dramatically changed before and, and after the bubble. So they were like, well, I have already experienced the bubble, the economic bubble in Japanese society. So right now it was like the economy has been like, you know, not so great for like so many years. Mm-hmm. No matter how hard I try as an individual, the society or the social environment is just like that. So no matter how hard I try, I probably will never ever generate the same fortune as my previous generation did, like my parents or my grandparents. Yeah, that's a phenomenon that's happening in America. And I'm sure if it's happening in Japan and America, I'm sure it's happening all over the world, all over the modernized world. And just like this population thing, it's not just relegated to China. It's happening even in India where they didn't have a one-child policy. It's happening everywhere. It's happening in Northern Europe. The more modern, the more... Because the thing what America has, that dynamic that Japan doesn't have, that Northern Europe doesn't have, to a degree, I mean, America accepts the most immigrants in the world um, as a pure number. Um, Per capita, I think we're a little bit lower, but still, we're accepting people from the third world countries, from second world countries, and from other even first world countries. That's why I think the United States doesn't have to worry about the birth rate. Because, like, you guys are an immigrant's country, and yeah. if you don't have enough people, you just immigrate. So, but China so, and Japan are not immigrants' countries. Yeah, so I wanted to say that um, Japan has already started its population decline. Uh, in the past couple of years, it's gone down by, like, 1 million or point, 0.3 million people. And I think it has been going on for, like, many years. Well, no, you're talking about two different things. There's the actual oh. sheer population number. Oh, you mean the sheer population? And then the fertility. The fertility rate has been in decline for some time and in america the fertility is in decline um but then when you're talking about population numbers of a country you also have to um take into consideration the immigration immigration rate so the amount of people coming in the amount of people leaving Mm. just without no one's being born or anything so america obviously has a much more significant immigration rate than either japan or china okay um so what i wanted to say is japan's Fertility rates have been in decline for some time. Um, it's concerning when they go below 2.1 because that means your population is going to decline. You need 2.1 to at least just keep it the same. Mm-hmm. And 2.1 kids per woman or family is, yeah. is what that number is. But the actual population numbers um, in Japan have started to decline, which is really concerning. Yeah, just so that means like... If we don't take immigrants into consideration, because like Japan is really not holding a very welcome attitude towards immigrants. So that is to say more people died than people who were born. Exactly. And then so right now we're at like 2020, we have um, 
126.5 million people in Japan in 2015. We ha- 2010 we had 128. So we already lost two million by the year 2080. If this keeps happening, um, there's going to be 30 million less people in Japan now than there there than there is. That, Or, that's very yeah. Uh, 30 30 million less people overall. Yeah, that's very surprising. And we can go to America and see what the difference is. Um, so the United States is going to keep, although our fertility rate is also declining among American citizens, our population is going to keep growing, expected to go increase by over 100 million over the next century. But the curve, each year that it increases, it's going to increase by less and less and less. It looks, according to this, we might peak around the year 2021-75 or 2190 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again... You know, even though we're accepting a large number of immigrants, like the countries where these immigrants are coming from are also developing. Mm-hmm. So they're having the they're going to be having the same experience that China and America are now, but just not for another fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty years. That's quite interesting, I think. Like, so basically, you are, uh, Like making use of an external factor to influence the general population of the country, or、well, Japan is just like emphasizing, "Oh, please get married, please have more babies." The government is gonna shoulder, is gonna pay for everything, blah 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 blah. But still, nobody is are willing, is willing to you know have more babies. Less and less people are interested in getting married, but. The United States kind of like adopted another、um, approach. Well, obviously,、uh, the United States has been a country of immigrants since the very beginning. Yeah. So it's gonna continue doing that, and no worries, because you guys still attract the most talented and the most intelligent people to come、yeah. to this land and realize they are American dreams. Though with what's going on recently, I don't know if that's going to hold true <laughs> for much longer. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and also,、um, it reminded me. I I, I sort of rem- recall a very interesting things because I was born in the nineteen eighties, and I I remember like in those days back in nineteen eighties,、um, a lot of Chinese families want to have a lot of kids mainly for one reason. Like it's it was mainly an agricultural society back in those days. Yeah, exactly. And you want to have more. Kids, so that they can be part of the labor force in the future. That is almost like the more people you have, the more labor force you're gonna have. So it's like, and then now it's, it's almost like, like owning cattle or exactly, slaves. I don't want to be exactly, exactly. But now it's not the case anymore because, like, most people, like with the development of urbanization, most people just、yeah. go to the city, and you realize, well, it doesn't actually matter how many kids you have. It has is- no influence whatsoever. On your future, and、it、the only, more only, kids you have, it's more expensive. It's more expensive. Exactly, the more kids you have, the more expenses you're gonna spend, and you have to buy more house, bigger houses. You have to pay for more education fee and and etc. And people obviously attach more importance to the quality, yeah,、uh, rather than the quantity. What I wanted to and say, and that is the trend. So. Obviously, Western civilization.、Um, we were influenced by Greek philosophy. Well, one of the biggest things was,、um, 
you know, biblical philosophy from the Jewish Bible. And one of the things uh, I believe in Leviticus or one of the stories in the Bible, um, they really emphasize because these are agricultural societies back in 2000, 3000 years ago as well. And they really emphasize the impact of having kids. So in America today, if you look at religious families, uh, especially Christian families, they really advocate having like three or four, have as many kids as you want because they just it doesn't make any sense. But it makes sense to them because they honestly believe the Bible. They believe everything the Bible says. So, if But the Bible, did the Bible tell them that you need to have more kids so that you can have more labor force? Um, I, I, not, not really. Well, not make, really? Then, yeah. well, you got to make sense for something that you believe in. If you believe in one thing, then you need to make sense. Otherwise, why do you believe in it? Well, they don't. That's the thing with, you know, certain religious um, people. Um. You know, they just believe what they read in the Bible. It's it's not so much about being analytical or being, you know, scientific about things. It's just about this is my religious philosophy. This is my doctrine, so I'm going to follow what's in here. Um, but this, you know, very more less and less people are religious these days, and religion's also just in almost a bigger decline than the fertility rate and the population rate. Yeah. So I guess we agree upon this point. That with the development of the society, um, the disappearance of agriculture society, as well as the appearance of industrial society, more modernized, urbanized society, people choose to have less kids because um, it's just a, a choice of economic consideration. You don't want to have too many kids that it's going to pose so much financial burden on you financial and time consuming and people time don't consuming. have that much time these days they have they work both work maybe 40 45 hours a week um they have to come home and if there's two kids they have to take if there's three kids then you're three you know every kid has a doctor's appointment every kid has a music a lesson every kid has some after school tutoring Every kid needs to go in America. I know not so much in China. Every kid in America needs to play some sports. Like that's just part of our culture. Like mm -hmm. soccer, start mm -hmm. out with soccer, then move on to football or baseball. Yeah, yeah. And this, all this stuff occurs after school. And like, so you come home from work, and then you're just totally consumed by all of your kids' activities and sports and stuff like that. Yeah. And with the um, yeah, with like women going out to work in the society. Uh, one thing services again. You definitely need a uh, childcare. Do we call that daycare or yeah, childcare? Day, daycare. Yeah. Daycare. Um, daycare. Uh, usually we we know now that um, I don't know about the situation in the United States, but in Japan you have like the public daycare center, yeah. and you also have the private one. And in China it's the same thing. You have the public and you have the private. Okay. The public is definitely everybody's first choice. Because yeah. it's cheaper, and those um, teaching staff there were more and when stable. You say daycare, you mean like two to five years old? Yeah, before they went to um, kindergarten. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then, um, like in Japan, there are some public daycare. Yeah. Um, I read in this newspaper called Asahi Shimbun. That is yeah. one of the most important mass media in Japan. And it says that daycare crisis is one of the biggest factors for women not to choose to have kids or have more kids. Because think about it. If you send your kid uh, to the public daycare, it's fine. But the problem is public daycare's number is so limited. 
that you have to either like both of you work, and you know they have a series of uh, factors to consider,、mm. and then finally they give you like a score. If you surpass a certain score, you can send your kids to the public one. But so I don't remember the exact number because like that was a newspaper article I read maybe three years ago. But it is said that maybe only one third of all of the applicants can get enrolled in the public daycare center, and then the other two third of the families, young couple families, have to send their kid to private daycare. The problem with private daycare is it's very expensive. Yeah. And you may ask, why don't you build more public daycare? Well, the problem is the Japanese society, the Japanese government, just simply. Cannot find enough people who are willing to work in the daycare center, the public、oh. daycare center,、yeah. and then you you start to ask why. It sounds like a stable,、uh, you know, job.、Uh, but the problem is they actually don't pay that well. And as a daycare teacher, you have huge responsibilities. You're taking care of kids from age two. Actually, in Japan, it's from age three months. Because that is the day, that is the age you can enroll your kid into the daycare after three months. Because the three months is the、um, fraternity ninety ninety days. Yeah, yeah fraternity leave. Ma-、uh, maternity leave. Oh, maternity. Sorry, maternity leave. Yeah. So you are basically taking care of a kid, and the job is very challenging. But do you know how much they get paid? Because I know. Uh, one of my student,、uh, one of my friends' mom works in a public daycare, and she said I wipe kids' um asses, take care of them, and when they throw up and stuff, I get uh like ju hachima. Yeah. So that is like one thousand, maybe six hundred dollars a month, and comparatively speaking, you can even get more money if you just work in a convenience store as a cashier. Yeah. So. And then,、um, then we talk. We 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 come back to the、uh, private daycare. So you were like, okay, why don't you just work harder so that you can send your kids to the private daycare? If both of you work,、um, you have more income. But the problem is, then we come back to the traditional、uh, Japanese family pattern, because the Japanese guys have a certain idea: if I get married. My kid,、uh, my wife is gonna stay at home, take care of me, cooking for me, cleaning the house and stuff. Okay. And apart from that, if she still has time, she can do something she really wants. So that already kind of make it impossible for you to work full time job in a Japanese corporate because they corporation invo- corporations because they involve a lot of extra work, extra hour work. Uh, so. What you have, the choices you have, is probably work part time as a cashier in some supermarket or in some bakery or restaurant. Yeah, well, that's and then the salary is like super low, and you compare the salary you actually make as a part time worker、um, with the sal with the money you pay for the private daycare. It's almost like the same. It's almost like the same. And then you're like, why do I go through all this? You know, work、uh, toy.、Yeah. When I give my kid to some stranger, and you're not even sure that your kid is getting enough care and necessary、uh, love from this,、uh, you know, people in the daycare while you work, 
your ass off in some supermarket making so the same money. The moms work in the daycare with their kids. The exactly. Same so that's how come, like, you know, the pride, the plight that many Japanese women are facing right now. So they have no choice but to quit their job completely and come back as a housewife, full-time housewife. Hmm. Interesting. In America, I don't even think we and, have public daycare. And then come back to the uh, birth rate stuff. If you already know the situation so well, like I described just now, it's like if you are a career woman, it's very like very very like less likely that you would actually choose to get married, give up all of your career, and get married and become a full time housewife. Yeah, I understand the economic implications of that. Whereas in the older societies, it was almost given that you, you know, you were going to be a housewife no matter what. And in the fifties, in the America, it started to be okay. Well, now you can have a part time job as a secretary, like my grandma worked part time at the bank. Yeah. Um. But now, yeah, nowadays it's almost you have to sacrifice your career and your time, especially those first five years are crucial. Um, to the child's development, the most crucial years of the child's development, it's being sent to a daycare or a nursery. After 90 days of being born, parents are not taking care of the kids. They're sending it to a nursery now, which, you know, I've looked at the psychological literature on that. It's it's kind of unconfirmed either way. Is it harmful to send your child away from its mother or father and to be with a complete stranger? And Are there psychological impacts of that? Um, I would say that there are. Um, yeah, I think it's still undetermined what they exactly how to quantify what these these impacts are and how they affect the kids. But just from a biological evolutionary um, understanding of things, it's it's probably be better to have at least one parent with the kid, especially in the child's early developmental years. Yeah, probably. And our society is not enabling that to happen. And as a result. You know, it's it's a hard decision to make, and you have more and more people opting out of having kids altogether because it's just too much burden. It's like an extra burden in life yeah. that people aren't willing to afford. Mm-hmm. Well, at a certain point, I'm kind of like, um, thank God that we still have traditional Chinese ideas, like Confucius ideas, to bond us to have kids because otherwise we are going to, head right into the low birth rate like Japan. You are in a low birth rate. We are, but not so seriously. Well, I what, think the birth, birth rate, rate has been right going now? like uh, been going down for like the past 3 years. Country is definitely taking measures. The birth rate's been going around for going down for 50 years. Um it's right now the Chinese birth rate is at 1.62. That's way below the replacement rate. Hmm. Replacement rate to keep your population at the same needs to be 2.1 and you guys are at 1.6 united states is at 1.87 but again we have immigrants to make up for this low birth rate or declining Mm -hmm. birth rate yeah um the confucian values and the traditional chinese system i'm sure is keeping things somewhat above water but um japan's is 1.7 italy let's use in a european country italy is 1.8 Four or three, so that's mm. pretty low, almost similar to J- Japan. And you know, the funny thing is, it's not so much. It just tells you it's not so much about 
the stereotype of Japanese people as they're antisocial and they're kind of shy and timid and stuff. Well, I don't think it has anything to do with their personality. Well, what I'm trying to say, if you know, what I'm trying to say is Italians. If you stereotype them, they're highly familial, uh, social people. They always drink wine together. They're oh, very, interesting. They're then ver- why do they have like so uh, such low birth rate? That's what I'm saying. So it's not so much the stereotypical ideas of Asian culture or Asians are more uh, less social or less likely to date. Uh, you know, when when we look at Italians, they couldn't be more opposite in their demeanor and their personalities than Japan. Yet their birth rates are significantly low in both of those countries. Do you know anything about that? Well, Italy, like Japan, has a huge social, um, you know, social support. It's a very modern economy. They're not taking in tons of immigrants, so the population is very modernized, highly educated. Again, it, it, I think it comes down at the end of the day to modernization of economies. Okay. Um, you see this trend everywhere. You know, it's not it's not just Asia. It's not just it happens in modern economies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really shocking that. Mm. And if you look at um, who was most uh, impacted by. The coronavirus, because coronavirus, as we know, attacks people. Um, most people who are vulnerable to this virus are over the age of 60. So that's why the death rate in Italy was so astronomically high compared with like countries like China and America, which has a lower median age population. Uh, Italy has a very high median age population. Like I think the median age is like 40-some. So. Now how do you explain Japan? Japan is also an aging society. Well, Japan, it doesn't have any Japan problem with the coronavirus. I mean, it, it is doing really good in the coronavirus pandemic. No, I'm saying once... So, like, yeah, they curtailed the virus in the beginning. But, obviously, Italy, it was went under the radar, so it proliferated in the population. I'm just saying once it gets out of control, obviously Japan had really good control mechanisms. South Korea, you know, had really good control mechanisms. But I'm saying if... Your population is an aging population like Japan or Italy or Spain. If your j- population is aging and this virus gets out of control, what's going to have a devastating impact on the popu- elderly yeah, population? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm. That's why Italy and Spain had such high uh, death rates compared to other uh, countries. Yeah. Um, so, the, yeah, the implications of, of this aging population phenomenon, this low fertility rates, is not simply just... Um, obviously, with pandemics and high death rates and pandemics, there's actually real-world economic implications of having an aging population, which is why v- countries like Japan mm. um, are implementing policies to try and incur- and China too, implementing policies to encourage people to have more kids and stuff, because they're trying to maintain that 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 structure of our economy that is year twenty, you're gonna develop, you're gonna. Um, do your best to input in the economy. You're going to have some kids, and you're going to support them in the same way that your parents supported you. And we're going to keep this system moving. But that that it's just hard. It's kind of like trying to, um, you know, plug holes in a sinking ship because you can't stop this trend. You can't say we have to return to the traditional values. We have to keep having kids like we did in the old days because people simply are unwilling to mm-hmm. all over the world. Yeah, I mean, this might sound very um, unpleasant, but I'm just glad that unlike the one-child policy, this is not mandatory. The government is encouraging people to have a second child, 
Like they say, oh, you can have a second child if you want to. But it happened only like three years ago. So like in 2015, right? So the birth rate doesn't go up and people are concerned. I'm more concerned like in 1982, we started to implement the one child policy and it's mandatory. If you have more than one child, you're going to lose your job. You're going to be bothered by the uh, law enforcement department and stuff like that. I'm just like a little bit concerned that, you know, one day when the situation developed to a certain point, the governments just start to say, well, you guys have to have like more than one, uh, more than one child or something. That's what really concerns me. Yeah. And the reason they're pushing this is because what happened, obviously we know most people retire around age 60 or 65, right? So you need a social network. Like in America, we have social security to support the population that's elderly because they can't work at the same level. They can't learn new skills at the same level that 20 year olds can. They don't have the same amount of energy. Um, and obviously they deserve some time in their life to be retired and enjoy their lives. At least that's been the, the philosophy of the last hundred years. And, you know, what's going to happen when there's the elderly population keeps growing, growing and growing, and there's not enough people in participating in the economy to support the elderly population. Yeah, that's a problem. Um, that's why, that's probably why, you know, um, Japan already take its measures to um, introduce people from other Southeast Asian countries like Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia, you see a lot of international students getting um, scholarship and study in uh, Japan. Well, of course, uh, from South Korea as well as China, there are a lot of international students studying in Japan. But Japanese society, generally speaking, is not opening its immigration policies or immigration uh, gate mm -hmm. to more people. It's still pretty not pretty much not an immigrant society. Yeah, the same could be said for Germany or these countries in Europe. So it's not like America where there's a concept of becoming American, but it's hard to become Japanese. It's it's easy to become American, okay? You can be any color what you want and be American. You just have to, you know, democracy and freedom are highly emphasized here, hardworking mentality. That's how you become American. But becoming Japanese is a more complicated, um, even ethnic or cultural question. Like, Well, historically speaking, America is already a, an immigrant society. So you guys have people of different color from the very beginning. And you wouldn't feel like really surprised or uncomfortable with a person of different color standing or working with well, you. Some people are. So, I mean, some people are. Yeah, that's why we call them racist. Especially in the middle of the country. And the more proper term is xenophobic. So... Xenophobic as opposed to racism is more concerned with cultural differences, different languages, um, different um, habits and values. Hmm. So there was a lot of xenophobia towards Irish Americans and Italian Americans in the late 19th century. Yeah, that um, was a long time ago. Not because Irish looks so much different. Um, one of the reasons is Irish people are Catholic and Americans are Protestant. Yeah. Um, they have just have different values. Um Italian people look more olive-skinned, so they had a little bit of racial or ethnic tinge to them um, that made people sort of racist and sort of xenophobic towards them. Yeah. 
But um, think about it. Like this we has been happening in America for many, many generations, and now the most recent is immigrants from you know the Middle East or immigrants from uh, Latin America have have the most xenophobia directed towards them. Um, you know, that's kind of like Donald Trump's whole campaign. Like, you know, the Mexicans are coming over the wall. And they're Build not, the wall. They're not documented is like the biggest thing. Um, you know, and the Republicans really want to emphasize the documentation of, of these immigrants and the work permits and stuff. Yeah. What I want to say is um, Japanese society is a society of uniformity. Can I use that word uniformity? Yeah, uniformity, like, yeah. Or con- conform and uniform. So. Yeah, yeah, conform. So they want like, you to conform. They want you to conform, and they want you to do exactly the same thing as everybody else does. They mm-hmm. want you to uh, talk, dress, eat in the same way. Like yeah. everyone is supposed to be the same. That's how I feel. That is totally personal feeling. Uh, from my th- uh, three and a half years of experience living in Japan. Yeah. So it's pretty hard for a foreigner to actually um, like localize or immerse himself into the Japanese society. So it's like no matter how many years you've been living there, no matter how what good Japanese you actually speak, they still have like this I wouldn't call it discrimination. I would call it just like xenophobia, as you put it. Yeah. Like, so if you go study in Japan, they would say like some landlords, they wouldn't even rent apartments to international students, international people from other countries. Oh, really? Yeah. They say, oh, because, you know, most of the tenants in this building are Japanese people and we have like totally different cooking style, like living style, a lifestyle. You might like, get loud uh, until very late or you might cook some stuff that it smells very uh, strongly and stuff like that. <laughs> I, I've heard of stories like that. Oh like some students trying to search for apartment to rent in Japan and they were rejected. And one of my friends, um, not a friend actually, he has been studying in Japan for many years and he started his own business in Japan dealing with like real estate property, mm-hmm. selling and buying and stuff. And there was like a traditional Japanese a uh, tatami style uh, wooden house mm-hmm. and the owner agreed already to sell this house at a certain price and when he actually went to sign the contract he found out that the buyer is a chinese and he said no he mm-hmm. said i'm not going to sell this traditional japanese house to a chinese person mm. well i wouldn't say that they are racist i'm just saying that japanese people They're always take pride in their preserving culture their culture yeah preserving their culture well, so they are very against the idea of just like mix and mingle with other culture and stuff they they actually take a lot of the uh, cuisine culture like the food culture from other countries but not so much in other aspects yeah i see um well they're paying the consequences of that although one benefit is that you have a very peaceful um organized society with a lot of cultural heritage which you know that's japan's a very high tourism country for that reason yeah yeah people love to go there they preserve everything so beautifully and they have such nice traditions that they get tourists from all over the world um every year and obviously they're exporting a lot of cultural things like anime and things that draw tourists there to begin with um but the consequences of that is if you don't want so much intermingling as much as america per se um 
you know, then you're going to have these declining birth rates and you're not going to have the, you know, the, the population you need to sustain the economy and the lifestyle that you're currently having. It's pretty sad. I mean, it's pretty sad. I don't know how they're going to resolve this problem. But how like, is China going to resolve this problem? Because it's that's what I've been saying just now. I'm so afraid that the government is going to take a very strong way and say that everybody has to have more than I don't think like one it's child. one thing to say you can't have kids but it's almost impossible to say you have to have it happens in the handmaid's tale yeah it's a story it's a fiction but a, a fiction is always like a reflection of the reality in a certain way I don't so I'm saying that in this process whether it's one child policy or maybe in some fence like in some you know unimaginable fairy tale that women somehow were asked or were forced to have more than one child, it's always the exploitation of women's fetus. Mm. The women's body are not treated as an autonomous zone of themselves. Like you can't have more than one child. You have to have more than one child. That is exactly the story of The Handmaid's Tale, isn't it? Yeah, they were using like Christian philosophies to emphasize that kind of stuff. But I honestly... Because they, they have to use this kind of things because like you can't just tell such a scary story based on like reality so it's just like some uh like bojack horseman like you know you gotta tell people some of the cruel reality but you gotta tell it in a very basically uh, what you're anime way what you're hinting is that many societies might panic and i think we are already seeing that all over the world there is a trend over the world to towards more conservatism um, in regards to the global economy, and this might play a part in that as well. So you see conservative party victories in England, the Brexit. They're trying to get away from the yeah, European yeah. Union. We have America. This is really an anti-globalization trend. So, we have been, like, globalization has been going on for so many years, and now we kind of reach a point when the major Western civilization actually did so many anti-globalization stuff. So... Yeah, exactly, and and this might be a part of that. In in thirty years from now, when you start seeing populations decline and economies suffer because um, the collapsing um, youth population, which is supporting the economy and the growing elderly population, that's really disruptive to an economy, and it, it's going to shrink the economic growth rate to almost nothing, maybe even negative. Um, a lot of countries are in negative growth rates right now in their economies. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's a panic that you'll start seeing is just a rush back to conservative religious values, whether it's Confucianism in China or uh, Japanese, you know, um, traditional Japanese values or Christianity in the West. You might see a small resurgence of that um, in the next in the coming decades, maybe possibly because mm-hmm. the, the globalization trend, the trend towards modernization has just forced people too far away from their traditional values maybe mm-hmm. i'm just saying maybe that will happen it is already happening in china yeah it's already happening yeah because like um like for all the years i've been growing up i was in this process of globalization urbanization right so all i learned is um like we gradually um walked towards the western style culture the globalization like we are part of the earth we are part of the world but now 
you see, especially among young people, the Han, uh, like the, we have the Han Dynasty. Yeah. And this culture from Han Dynasty is getting so popular among young people. You see a lot of the videos, like on on the uh, social media, uh, videos, and people are wearing those Han Dynasty traditional. When was the Han Dynasty? I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Han Dynasty. Okay, almost two thousand years ago. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I'm really bad with history because I was a science student back in high school. So Han Dynasty, and you see a lot of people like in a certain like cosplay way, but still they wear this kind of clothes and go to the park and take photos and take videos and stuff like that. Yeah, and also there's a a celebrity called Li Ziqi. Uh, she actually have a very popular YouTube channel. Uh, YouTube channel have millions of uh, subscribers. Mm-hmm. Her video, she is always like in this traditional Chinese clothes, and her lifestyle is she lives in the middle of nowhere with her grandma, and she grows her own stuff, makes her own jam, everything. And then she took like she took videos of all of these processes and got so popular. That's like, what I was I, like. That's kind of tied back to what you said about Japanese people. They kind of want they don't want to have a bunch of kids and be forced to participate in this economy and forced to invest in their kids' future and put them in daycares and go through all these struggles for for what exactly? They want a return to a simplistic life, self sustaining life, and maybe. That's human's natural disposition is instead of growth, 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 which we've been in the past hundred twenty, hundred fifty years or so. Well, if you say that Japanese young people are moving back to the countryside and they start living agricultural lifestyle, growth stuff for themselves, I would understand. But most of the people are still living in the city, and they actually, you know, there are so many villages and countryside in Japan that are totally empty. Yeah, it's weird that and they the live government, in the government. A government give them money. Say, please come here. We're really? gonna give you the money. We give. We're gonna give you house for free. I'll and go. We, Will they let me go? <laughs> and we even compensate you for your, you know, like renovation. What I don't understand is nobody goes here. What I don't understand is young people in America and in Japan, especially, are dating less, having less sex. Um, being is that being is that true in the United States? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How do you know that? I've looked at the data before. And it's happening all over the world. And okay. maybe there's many different explanations for that. Economic, maybe it's social media. You feel more connected to social media, so you feel less need to go to the bar mm. when you can just video chat your friends. But if, you, if you're not going out and physically interacting, how are you going to date and have sex? Yeah. So um, what I'm saying is, yeah, people are moving towards the cities, but it seems that the socialization rates are going down, the rates of sex are going down, the rates of dating are going down, the birth rates are going down, mm-hmm. marital rates are going down. Mm-hmm. What's the point of living in a city on top of each other if you're not even going to be partaking in the social activities that are occurring there? Maybe um, if you live in the middle of the city, you still have access to that, and you feel kind of like assured that well whenever i want to go to a bar i can still go there but if you live in the countryside you have no access to it yeah maybe it's just you're not actually engaging as much as you think you are but just because you're in the city it makes you feel like your life is lively um you see the lights all the time you see things going on but maybe you're actually as the data shows you're not participating in social 
socialization at the same rates as our parents used to in the 1970s. Our parents used to go to parties, smoke pot, drink beer. People aren't aren't mm. aren't doing and having sex and having that was like the age of free sex in the ni- in 1970s and <laughs> <laughs> But you know, um I can understand that because like especially in China and in Japan most of the job opportunities are still in the city. If you go mm. to a countryside, there is no way you can find a job like you do in the city. Like you, if you live in a, a city like Tokyo or Kyoto, Osaka, yeah. you can work in a convenience store as a cashier and you can be self-sufficient. Yeah. But what kind of job are you going to do in a countryside? There is basically no job opportunities. Yeah. That's one of the major reasons why people choose to live in the city, although they do not engage with each other anymore. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, there's going to be an increased... Um, what am I saying? I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, autonomization of technology. So we're going to see more automated services coming from AI and robotics technology, taking a- away a lot of even more menial labor, even more service jobs. And maybe that's the answer to the aging population. We'll have, instead of having immigrants do the work or having um, young, unskilled people do the work, we'll have uh, robots sustaining the economy or making up for the lack of bodies that are born into the population will be replaced by automated uh, robotic systems for a lot of these services that our economy depends on, whether it's building cars or serving coffee or... So we'll see a, a decline in population, but we'll see a, an increase to compensate for that in robotics and uh, artificial intelligence technologies. It's very interesting you mentioned automization, and then um, all of these jobs can be fulfilled by robots. Automation is the word. I'm, uh, automation. I'm, I'm messing up the word. Automation. Yeah. Okay, automation. Yeah. Um, I believe in various news channel or the internet information I read. They all mentioned that one of the reasons that Japanese young people do not want to date or get married is because they are so self-sufficient. Like, you can go to the convenience store and they have this, like, bento box for one person. Mm -hmm. And the necessity of having a wife cooking for you is gone. You can just live like that forever. Why do you need a wife to cook for you? I cook my own food. No, <laughs> I'm saying that in the past, you know, there are at least some external factors to yeah. drive you. You're like, oh, my God, I'm eating this um, fast food McDonald's every day. Yeah. I need a wife. And in a certain way, this is an external uh, factors dr- that drive you to go in that direction. But now, like, everything is designed for one person. You yeah. go to the supermarket and they have, like, this small pack of food. That is designed for one person. You know, proportionally speaking, meat, vegetables, and everything Mm -hmm. are already designed for you. And then you just take it, and you go back, you microwave it. You're self-sufficient, and you're just so free. And if you want any, like they say, you can go to eat ramen by yourself, because there's ramen restaurant designed for one person. You can go to um, barbecue, yakiniku, mm. because there are yakiniku designed for one person. But what can't it's be... It's just like this society yeah. is designed for single people. But what can't be replaced, though, even no matter how much automation you have or AI, I doubt that for many, many centuries we can replace the actual 
um, value and the emotional value and the developmental value of interacting with other people, especially your family, like if you're raising kids or even dating or whatever it is, having a friend's network, um, that can't be, that's something that can't be re- replaced. And we're seeing more people um, opt out of this um, social dating network. We see, um, and then along with this, you see increased rates of anxiety, depression, loneliness. I agree. I agree. There is nothing... No matter what a convenient society you live in, there is nothing that can replace the real human contact, the yeah. emotional part that the human contact can provide you. There's nothing that can replace it. Yeah, and that's you know that's going to be one of the biggest things. Is like over the past ten years of the um, social media revolution, we see more rates of loneliness. Obviously, people less dating and more depression, more anxiety, especially among younger girls. I think Jonathan Haidt um, wrote a book about this. It's like a social psychologist um, on the impact of social media on young girls and the, mm. the rates of anxiety and depression. And and overall, this trend has made people, even though we're so modernized and everything's so convenient, over the trend of the past 30 years, are people getting happier or are we having more access to these resources and these we're finding out these resources, these material values are just not the same thing as being social and having a loving uh, companionship or a good network of friends. What is the most prominent thing that you have felt that influenced people around you with the development of social media? What is one prominent thing? Well, I think people are more distracted from yeah for sure yeah, yeah for sure people are more distracted than they used to be yeah. and they're engaged in whatever because these these apps and these Instagrams and WhatsApp and WeChat they're they're designed to get your attention because people are paying advertising money and they're paying advertising money for minutes of of screen time so you know the apps are designed to get your attention and suck your attention away from your kids, from your wife, from your, I mean, and honestly, you know, I, I'm like a really big uh, follower of politics and stuff. So like, I just love Twitter because I just love to engage in the politics mm. and I get distracted. I'm just like, I can't believe this is going on. This is so interesting. What does this guy have to say about this or this, this female professor or, or whatever? And I'm just totally sucked in by that. And I have to, I have to set like a time limit on my uh, app to limit the amount of time <laughs> that's very uh, yeah. interesting although i turned it off the past month because it's just the world's just too crazy i just need to check out it's what's, just too crazy i yeah. just need to check out what's going on <laughs> yeah but you know i i i was like that too and then i asked myself so like exactly what did you get from all this news that have been stuffed into your mouth that has been you know fed to your brain I ask myself and the question, the answer is usually probably nothing. So I would rather Mm. just like actually read some in-depth analysis of what is going on, like in-depth book about a certain area. That's a good, yeah. That's 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 my preference. That's a good position, yeah. I I could definitely do more of that. Um, But I will say, you know, I, unlike some... You know, some people are struggling in today's era. I do make an effort to visit my friends physically. That's very good. I show up unannounced. Like, that used to be a thing in the 1980s and 90s. 
I'm just gonna drive my friend's house and see what's going on. I can't get a hold of him, so I'm just gonna see where he's at. Mm. Today, with maybe with technology, it's like, oh, I'm gonna text him, see if I can come over first, and if he says no, he's busy, then I'm not gonna go. And it's just harder for people to connect. Like I remember, um, you know, high school before we would just kind of show up and just be like, hey, what's up, man? Like, mm. and engage just like humans always used to just kind of float around and see what's going on. And That's a good habit. With technology, it's like you have to organize everything you have to schedule everything you you can't just show up unannounced to your mm. you know your parents house or your brother's house or something like that well that that has been going on in japan for years even before the technology because yeah. every japanese people bring like this um small they call it techo techo means like you just um it is designed with a calendar on it yeah but under each date it has like a lot of space so you can just uh write down everything you are supposed to do. So if you are trying to ask somebody to dinner, you got to tell him like at least in two weeks advance. Yeah. And then he's going to write it down and then you're going to meet on that day. So it's pretty much like you have to schedule everything. And back to the question I asked you just now, like the one prominent thing that I felt uh, the social media has like the influences social media has one prominent thing is that all of the female friends around me are more into comparing they are comparing oh yeah yeah comparing yeah because that's a like, whole other bag of worms yeah because you know like every day you open wechat uh weibo you you open any social media there is always a lot of people yeah. showing off photos videos Anything to show to to show off to tell people what a wonderful, beautiful life they are having right now, and you start to think, well, am I doing as well as this person? And there's studies that show that uh, that affects women way more than men. Exactly, because when are more men are more like they. There's studies that show men are more using social media, like. Uh, not to put him on the spot, but my brother, for example. So my brother does he use social media a little bit, but. He's actually using technology to play video games with his friends, and they're on like a team, and they're like fighting some military thing. Mm. Well, what's what's my sister in law doing? She's uh, using social media to check out what other girls are up to, other girls that she doesn't even know. Yeah, so I know. So that has profoundly different impacts on people. Mm-hmm. Um, that could that we could save that conversation for a whole other podcast. But I want to get back to obviously the coronavirus pandemic. And how maybe is that going to make, in your opinion, do you think that's going to make birth rates go up in China or go down? Is since they were locked down for what two months in China, or do were people seeing each other? Were people no. bored and having more sex, or were they having less sex? Or I do don't. Ca- uh, nobody actually in China has done this kind of a uh, report, like, but it does say that like every other place is in the uh, in the whole world. The divorce rate is definitely going up. Oh, the divorce it's rate. going up in such a dramatic way that we came up with a new regulation which said that you have to wait for a certain period of time before you, you are granted with uh, a divorce. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah, because they don't want people to be impulsive in their decision to get a divorce. And um, yeah, a lot of people lost their job during this pandemic. So obviously, if you lose your job, and the economy is not getting better yeah. in a very short time. Um, I guess it would definitely have some impact on the birth rate. People will be more unwilling well, to I have think, kids. 
the social scientists said since it happened all around the world kind of first started in like March and people were really getting bored by like April. Um, they said we're going to find out like next December or January if there was a huge spike in births or not. <laughs> so we'll find out one way or the other. Okay. It could be negative, it could be neutral, or it could be positive. So we'll we'll find out. But um, yeah, I think that's about, you know, I've pretty much exhausted myself on this topic. Um, I don't have much left to talk about. Mm, me neither. So yeah, basically that's all for today. Um, we are going on a road trip on Thursday, so we're gonna update you guys with the late with the interesting stuff that we see um on the road. Basically, we're gonna drive from the west coast from Los Angeles to the east coast, uh, to a small town, uh, to a small suburban town called Medford in New Jersey. It's going to take us about like six days and we're going to do some hiking and visit some interesting places. So probably we'll change the form of our podcast and do like a half hour update like every day or every other day. Uh, Hopefully that's going to be fun for you guys. And that's all for today. Bye for now.